Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, hustlers. We know that this 2024, the entrepreneurial journey is filled with challenges. An often overlooked aspect is the time-consuming task of processing payroll and managing government requirements. And did you know that the average admin spends a whopping 50 hours per month dealing with just government compliance? That's time you could be spending on growing your business, or let's be honest, taking a well-deserved break. But fear not, we got a game changer for you, introducing Sprout Solutions and their tailored solutions for MSMEs called the Payroll Starter. With Sprout Solutions Payroll Starter, you can finally reclaim your time and get your life back on track. Say goodbye to the stress of remembering tax dates or worrying about missed payroll runs. This bundle is designed to make your life easier and your business more efficient. And here's the best part. The cost starts just at 5,000 pesos per month for businesses with up to 10 employees. Yep, you heard that right. That's just 5,000 pesos per month. So why spend another minute drowning in payroll paperwork when Sprout can revolutionize the way you manage your payroll and government requirements? Take the first step towards a more efficient business today. Visit sprout.ph slash monthly 5 k If you missed that, don't worry. We have it in the description box of this episode. So click that too. And again, big shout out to Sprout Solutions because your time is too valuable to be spent on paperwork. Reclaim it with their payroll starter. Now let's begin this episode. The Hustle Share Podcast is brought to you by PDAC. PDAX is a homegrown cryptocurrency exchange that offers the best rates among local cryptocurrency exchanges. Download the PDAX app now on the Google Play Store, App Store, or Huawei App Gallery. Start trading Bitcoin, Ethereum, and other cryptocurrencies for as low as 50 pesos by signing up on podlink.co slash hustlesharepdax. Also powered by Podmachine. The simplest way to grow and edit your podcast. Sign up now at podmachine.com and use the code HUSTLESHARE to get one free edit. And what I mean by this is a founder's job is you're just trying to convince all sorts of people about the way you think the world should be. You need to convince investors to give you millions of dollars and you need to convince customers that they should use your thing. Welcome to HUSTLESHARE. The podcast that features the daily grinds of unique hustlers around the world to show not our differences, but that our hustles are very much alike. Now here's your host, Ronster Beitiong. Welcome to the latest episode of the Share Podcast. I am literally very nervous today. I've been telling this guest that, oh my God, I, we've made it guys, because this today, this wasn't an accident. That we featured one of the biggest, you know, catalysts of the startup ecosystem in Southeast Asia for our third anniversary of this podcast that we, again, we just did to help the Filipino startup ecosystem. And again, over the past couple of years, it's been crazy. Sunicorn on Sunicorn on Sunicorn is happening here. But before we talk about that, let's talk to, uh, to you know, uh, people who have been there and done that. 
And uh, this guy doesn't need a lot of introductions. We've had a lot of people who've had, uh, who've actually helped, like Akadarina and Up Next, uh, just to name a few, that he's invested on to really catapult the startup ecosystem in Southeast Asia. So without further ado, let's welcome our next guest, Mr. Suken Oi of Iterative. Whoop, whoop. And welcome to Hustle Share. I am nervous as hell. Dude, th- thanks for having me. Uh, I feel like I wasn't nervous before, but after that introduction, I'm like kind of nervous now. I don't know if I'm going to be able to live up to all that, but uh, you know, I'll do my best. No, it's uh, what I always say here in the podcast is real, recognize real, and hustle, recognize hustle. And that's what we'll be talking about because, again, I've heard so many uh, stories about you from Up Next, from Akad Arena and whatnot. And what I hear, what, when I say that, it just makes me more curious about, man, how did this guy grow up? How did he build his hustle? And how can Asians actually help Southeast Asian? Because for the longest time, right, there's always been this preconceived notion of the Southeast Asian discount, right? Yeah. Where in reality... We are the biggest region in the world. There's more people in this little bubble that we have compared to the rest of the world. But before I get carried away, I've been asking this for three years. I need to ask you the million dollar question. Sukan, what's your hustle? Yeah, so Iterative is basically a YC-style accelerator focused exclusively on Southeast Asia. Both my partner and I uh, were kind of like... We were part of YC uh, summer 2014. We were the last Paul Graham batch. So Paul Graham was actually part of the batch. It was only like 20 companies. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think we got to see that. Um, And for for people who aren't familiar with Iterative, um, we invest about 150K USD into each of the companies. Then we work with them in batches, uh, two batches every year. Um, I can do a a short plug uh, here. There you go. We've uh, invested in uh, now four. Bat- We're in our fourth batch right now. It's the third week of the fourth batch. Wow. In the first three batches, we've invested in 26 companies. Those 26 companies have gone on to raise $173 million, and they're collectively now worth about $733 million. Um, so we're getting close to the like, you know, billion dollar value on, on the company. So, um, that has more to do with the founders that we've been able to kind of invest in and it, it all, all, all the, you know, everything that, uh, any kind of accolades we get should go to them. They're the ones that actually make this happen, but, um, we're like very excited to kind of like have started this working with them in this community. But at the end of the day, uh, I'm, I'm a believer. Yes, it's very founder driven, but you need to be a great judge of character in order to see the diamonds in the rough, right? And in order for, for them to have that opportunity where they can springboard into Sunicorn land and become unicorn, the next unicorns. Again, you you do that only through experience, just seeing multiple iterations of that, pun intended, uh, in, in, other, in other ecosystems, especially in Silicon Valley. Yeah. And look, I think one of the things that I first, you know, uh, found out when I was uh, back in Southeast Asia was that a lot of, and look, this is changing. I'm, I'm talking broad strokes, uh-huh. but I think a lot of investors were investing in people with like some sort of pedigree, right? Correct. And a lot of times the investors, again, there's, there's lots of great investors out there. I don't want to just like shovel stuff on a bunch <laughs> of, uh, but look, if they haven't been startups before and the, the ecosystem's kind of new, this happened in Silicon Valley too. You invest in the people who went to Harvard or Stanford, or they like got some MBA from XYZ and all that kind of stuff. Right. 
makes sense. Like if you don't, if you're not sure how to kind of value, this is what you look for. I think one of the benefits and what we really like at Iterative is we invest in just kind of like nerds and misfits and weirdos, right? Because like, that's who we are. And I think we've been successful because we've been able to identify people who maybe like on paper don't look like, oh my gosh, they're from some rich family or went to like Harvard or any of that kind of stuff, but are like amazing, right? Yeah. And look, I'll use the Katarina founders as an example. Um, they're awesome, like top tier founders. They Absolutely. would, you know, they would be top tier anywhere in the world, right? Mm-hmm. I have no idea. I have no idea where Ariana went to school. I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you what she majored in. I have no idea. It turns out Justin yes. and Kevin actually went to the same college in the U.S. as Brian and I. So yep. there's like mm-hmm. a connection, but like it's a public school. It's not an Ivy League. There's nothing special about it. Mm-hmm. And the thing that struck us about them was, man, they loved games. Yeah. They like loved games and they were super passionate about community. And we were like, we don't know where this goes, but like, these are the types of people we want to like back. Right. So, um, you know, when we've, I mean, look, they're like a big deal now. And I feel like they're, yeah, all they're superstars the, here. <laughs> they're superstars. Right. And, and rightfully so they're like, mm-hmm. they're awesome. Right. And it's like, there's big things coming down the pipe. And, but you know, when we first talked to them, it was like, I think that's the stuff that we saw. Right. It wasn't like, where they went to school or any of that kind of stuff. So we, we like finding as many of those kinds of people as we can. Pure passion, just cutting through. But before I get carried away again, Sukan, I know where you're, you're probably in KL, but I'm going to throw it right into the screen because I need you to buckle up yeah. because we're going to have to ride the Hustle Share Time Machine. All right, there you go. All the way back to the 90s or the 80s or what happened. Man, I've been 80s, saying that for man. three. 80s. Okay. Uh, 80s. I, right, there I, you go. I'm old. Uh, <laughs> I'm born in 1983, so I'll be 39 next month. So I'm old. Not that far out. I was born in 88. So we good. Go. All right. So we had consciousness in the 80s, but our yep. heyday was in the 90s. Yep. There you go. But I want to understand now, again, I've had so many Asian Americans who were here. And there's something profound about the Asian American upbringing mm. where you get a good mixture of western progressiveness and western american dream hustle and you also get the conservativeness of, of, of southeast asians and asians and being tight-knit as family i want to understand how did you start hustling and who were your primary influences because the common theme i always hear is there's this always this tiger mom or a tiger dad who's had to like hey you need to study hard you need to be a doctor or a certain profession in order to see that how did that happen for you yeah. So, you know, I can kind of start at the beginning and let me know which parts you kind of want to dig into. So I was born in Penang in Malaysia. Uh, my whole family was there. Um, I lived there until I was about four or five. And then we moved to the U.S. And mm-hmm. my parents had, I, I think this as is, if I remember the story correctly, my mom would only move to the U.S. if my dad agreed to this, which was we would go to school in the U.S. for nine months. And then every summer we would go back to Penang and live with my grandmother in wow. Penang. Um, and so from five until I was 18, like I, all of my summers are spent in Malaysia. So I like to joke with people. I'm more Malaysian than my accent like sounds. Um, <laughs> but I think Southeast Asia for me has always been like, I've always kind of identified as kind of like Southeast Asian. Uh, oftentimes I think Asian American, I quite identify with, but I think growing sure. up, uh, it, I always felt kind of like very Malaysian because that's what my parents were. Got it. But what are the core values that you you got from both countries or both styles of upbringing? Yeah. Because again, you know, American very independent. Go very get, go get your whatever your, your thing. Meritocracy. Yep. 
I'd like to think uh, it's, it's something that a lot of Americans understand, but in, in Asia, it's more of very network driven, very familial in terms of what it is. How did that build you up growing up, especially as you came to high school and college over time? Yeah, I mean, look, I think in different parts, I mean, look, I got a lot of this from my parents. I think my parents were not traditional. And look, I'm a Chinese kind of descent, but my parents are not of like typical Asian Chinese kind of like uh, values. They are in some sense. When it comes to family, we are like oh, as yeah. traditional as it comes, right? Mm-hmm. But maybe maybe some good examples of this. Before my parents had me, they lived in Barbados for three years. Wow. Yeah. And so basically what happened was my dad got, he worked for Intel since the late seventies and they the posted him in Barbados. Huh? <laughs> What's in the Caribbean? And So look, there was a, he was in charge of, he was working, he like ran their plants and factories and stuff. And so they said, look, wow. we want to send you to Barbados uh, to run this thing. You got to go live there for three years. And my mom, I, I don't think had ever left Malaysia before until okay. she got on a plane to go to Barbados. Wow. And so I think, look, my parents were quite adventurous to like take on stuff like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, they were, I mean, they didn't come from anything. There was nothing like that, but they were just like, look, we'll sure. We'll go to Barbados in 1979 or 80. It was wow. like three Asian people on the Island. Right. Um, <laughs> wow. And so I think, wow. and you know, and I think the thing that I, strikes me about my father specifically when we got to the U S is, you know, I think sometimes people think of Asians as, they don't speak up and they're kind of like, you know, maybe less confident and all that kind of mm-hmm. like nonsense. Right. My dad was never like that. Like the story he told me was that when he got the job to work at Intel, the person, the hiring person invited him over to his house for dinner. And the person said, Hey, uh, what do you know about kind of like, you know, manufacturing and kind of like accounting and stuff. He, my dad's response was, I think I know more than you. What? <laughs> that's just not, it's kind of counter to the like stereotype, <laughs> yeah, right? But yeah. like that's how my father is. And wow. so I think for me, living in the US, there's a lot of stereotypes that I think get kind of like not bred into you, but kind of pushed on you as an Asian American. And I think it just was seeing how my parents were and the, the way that they were, that kind of just like overrid anything that came from like actually being there. So uh-huh. uh, I feel like all of whatever good I have done or have like comes from my parents, I think. Got it. But another common thing that I always see, and again, this is not that common here, especially at least coming from the Philippine setup, yeah. or at least that kids here are pretty much, you know, asked to do some chores, but they don't yeah. work early in the States. You got to get a job early, even yeah. while you're hustling. Did you, what were your first jobs that you had to do there? Okay, mine mine were pretty uh, lame. My very first job was um, I built a website for my dad's lawyer. He had it was wow. like nineteen nine. It was like nineteen ninety eight. The websites were like wow. really, I was like pretty young, and mm-hmm. like I built a website for him, and he like paid me like twenty bucks an hour, which was like a ton, was more money I'd ever seen before at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I eventually worked at Intel building uh, computers, like assembling computers that hardware. went to trade shows. Hardware, yeah, mm-hmm. like take the CPU, take the RAM motherboard, put it all together, all that kind of stuff. Cause uh, I grew up kind of doing that. So um, those are kind of my first exposures to working, um, which were atypical. Um, like my dad, my brother's first job is he worked at the Starbucks at the airport. Okay. Right. <laughs> um, Got it. But yeah, by like 15 or 16, you know, we're like, you know, you have jobs and you're trying to kind of do stuff. But how did you 
get traction here because again let's just admit it there's always a glass ceiling yeah right and again um the minorities don't get the best opportunities out there and you need yep. to work extra hard and hustle extra hard to be able to get the type of respect or even the compensation that you're due right but how did you get your footing within tech because again hmm. that would be the whole narrative of what we're going to be talking about here you know you eventually got your footing got really good at it founded companies and now you're helping founders yep. to just uh, uh, follow suit on the same path you've, you've you've paved for right but how did you establish your roots and what were the biggest catalysts for that we made our own game man <laughs> like look we when i got out of school i worked yeah. for a company for about nine months uh, okay. as a consultant and that's the only like real job I've had. Wow. How we got started at, uh, at in tech was um, we started our first company. I think I was 22. So we went immediately into starting companies. And look, it was painful. We spent mm -hmm. two years in my brother's basement. We made nothing. Nobody cared about what we were doing and all that. Mm -hmm. um, but that's how we got started. We just kind of made it ourselves, right? Um, and I think that's like a painful way to go. I don't know if I would have kind of like uh, suggest that's how it is, but that's how we got started. We just decided to kind of like make it our, make our own. Mm -hmm. Now, in that said, you, you go through, this is my third startup now. Yeah. First startup, straight out of college, it was a nightlife yeah. app. I was very passionate about partnering yeah. and I just love that feeling of getting people in the club and giving the best night ever yeah. that, they, that, that they've done. But I went through a ton of mistakes that are still indelible till now. Dude, all of, them, did. Yeah. All, of them. <laughs> all of us did. Yeah. What were those biggest mistakes that you remember that stuck with you till now that, again, would be uh, Easiest one. <laughs> Easy one. Um, the first company was started by Brian and I, who are who's the other managing partner. We've basically been co-founders for like 15 years now. It was my brother and I, and then Brian and his younger brother. Okay. So the four of us started the company. The tag together. team match. Tag team <laughs> brothers. <laughs> like, I don't know what we were doing. Hardy boys uh, and Dudley boys right there. Yeah, okay. totally. Um, and we were all technical. Mm. So the first nine months, we locked ourselves in my brother's basement and we coded our eyeballs out. We didn't talk to any customers. Wow. We didn't like talk to anybody else. We just mm. built this app. And if you leave uh, if you leave enough engineers in a room together uh they start coming up with all kinds of new ideas like we did and you know we had this like app we had like version 5.0 of this app right that we'd been building on for nine months launched it and nobody cared because yeah. we didn't talk to anybody right so we had built this like house of cards but never figured out if the like foundation or the ground that we were building on was any good mm -hmm. so yeah it was a really good app except for like it was an app that did this thing that nobody cared about God. and the immediate change that we made was we need to make sure we never make this mistake again. Mm -hmm. So we made the only rule that we ever had, which was we made, we have a meeting on Mondays because we heard that uh, VCs have Monday meetings. And so we thought that'd be cool if we had Monday meetings. <laughs> so we had no money. So all we're deciding is, are we going to spend another week on the project we're working on, or are we going to work on something new? And the only rule was if we work on something new, it needs to be launched by the following Monday no exceptions because wow. we didn't want to be in the same thing where we're like like writing code for too long so every week we had this conversation of like work on it again launch a new thing work on it again or work, like launch a new thing and so that's that's how we ended up finding out like working 
working on the product that ended up being kind of our first company that you know we raised a bunch of money for and all that kind of good stuff. Those sprints are intense because again, normal sprints that we typically see now with agile and scrum yeah. and whatnot is two two weeks, right? Yeah. Every week for you to iterate that fast. And this is free pre no code. You pre-no, have to yeah. code everything out, right? Yeah. How did you build pre-AWS? Up? We had to set up our own <laughs> yes. servers. What are you talking right. about? This is like <laughs> wow. But how how did you then build that competency? Because again, right? Um, not everybody figures out their potential or at least pushes their their, their themselves to the yeah. limit. And some people, again, by virtue of who they're surrounded with, would likely coast or you know, lollygag their way into whatever they're doing. But you guys were surrounded with again brother on brother crime, but you were equally passionate until something worked. But were, were, were there instances where doubt creeps in and you just have to look at like, uh, what the hell are you doing here, right? How did you cope with that until you found your eureka moment? I mean, look, all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and look, we I have doubt now, right? I mean, as, as well as the editor is going, the reality is there's always doubt, right? Yeah. Um, and the trick is like, like, okay, how do you kind of like deal with it, right? And look, I, you know, I'm preaching to the choir here. You you know this, right? Every founder knows this. So um, look, if you're a founder out there, you're like hustling on something and you have doubt, everybody does, yep. all right? Um, I think there's a couple things. Um, one is having co-founders helps because there were times when I was down, Brian's picking me up. There's times when Brian's down, I'm picking him up or vice versa, right? And so you need people to kind of like balance out kind of like how you're feeling because it's, it's, it's just tough to kind of like do it on your own. The other part of having co-founders is you have people that you can talk to about it and you kind of feel like you're in the same thing with. And so, yeah. you know, the thing that I found, and I didn't recognize this until later, a lot of times for us, startups are fun and we want to keep it going because we're having a lot of fun. So we just want to keep the band together. Yeah. Right. That's the whole thing. Like, oh, you know, are we going to make lots of money? I don't know. Hopefully. But like, who knows? But like, you know, I just kind of want to keep the band together. So we've had lots of conversations where we're just like, OK, well, I don't care about anything else. How do we keep the band together? Right. So what do we got to do to keep the band together? Yeah. Um, and look, before right before the idea that became Decide.com, which is our first company, and I'm happy to talk about that. We had the conversation where we all got together and we said, how much money you got left? <laughs> yeah oh my god we've all been there right oh. how much money you got left yeah and the thing that came back was not much and so we had the honest conversation of should we all stop the startup thing that we're doing go get a job refill the bank account and maybe we give this another shot in three to five years we had that conversation right now wow. luckily things seem to turn around kind of like almost right then but like that was a real conversation, right? And for two years, I just saw my bank account shrink. It was just like, right, every every month, right? Mm-hmm. And then you're looking at external forces, where you, you can't help it, but you know, you see other your your peers doing well. They're oh. they're having a time of their life, and you're out here stuck somewhere, and you feel like, what the hell am I doing yeah. in my life? That's hard. But again, that's where founders that eventually make it are able to persist and push through, regardless regardless of that. So here's, here's the other part with this. Look, co-founders are, are kind of one piece to this. In those dark times, you really need to understand why you're doing this. Yeah. You really need to understand. And look, if you're doing this for the money, you're probably going to quit because the chances of you actually kind of making money from like some startup is like pretty small. And 
<laughs> the entire way up until you actually make money, you you think you're not going to make any money, right? So like, yeah. if you think this is like a quick game to make like a lot of money, like you're in the wrong game, right? Nope. Um, the thing that worked for us too was um, when I talked to my friends who worked at Microsoft and Google and all this kind of stuff, their lives were seemed more fun than mine, but I had more fun doing what I was doing. They never wanted to talk about work. Like, sure, they were like going to Vegas and they're buying some new BMW and all that kind of stuff, right? But like, they didn't care about what they did. Yeah. And so to me, it was like, cool, you can keep the BMWs and the trips to Vegas or whatever, but like, I like what I do. And that was more important to me, right? And, and look, there's nothing wrong with BMWs in Vegas. Like, just know that about yourself that like, you like a certain lifestyle. Startups are not going to give you that. Like, mm-hmm. don't do it then, right? Um, and so I think really understanding why you're in this game and mm-hmm. like what you're going to get out of it, I think will help you through those parts. The other thing too, is we used to have a mantra that we said to our, each other all the time. It's never as bad as you think it is. And it's never as good as you think it is. Yep. You always want to be somewhere in the middle. Like Even if you get chill. too high in the highs, the, mm-hmm. the falls hurt a lot, right? Yep. So it's never as good as you think it is. And it's never as bad as you think it is. It's somewhere in the middle. Right. And you just want to like stay in that zone and like keep grinding and like keep working. Yeah. So that's true, especially when you're coming in from taking a lot of L's consecutively. Yeah. Uh, and that happens a lot. You got to have short term memory and you need to jack yourself up. And also, just vice versa, if you're like, man, I'm getting, I'm on a roll and I'm crushing it. And all of a sudden you just fall face down. You got to have short term memory. And again, even killed somewhere in the middle is where somewhere you need to coast along. Maybe there's one more thing too. Um, you learn so much by doing startups. And so if part of your game is like, I'm getting so much from this, like, dude, we were taking L's. I, we built three dozen products that didn't go anywhere. I had one product. I didn't get it. We didn't get a single sign up. Can you imagine wow. building a thing and you couldn't get your mom That's to sign crushing. up for that thing? Oof. Never in my yeah. life have I worked so hard for nobody to care ever right yeah but man i feel like i was learning stuff like all the time right so that kind of kept me going too so anyway find those things that will like keep you going absolutely all right now let's take our first break and when we come back let's talk about how yusuke again and brian again shout out brian uh went from struggling startup entrepreneurs to doing an exit creating to yc and eventually creating iterative in southeast asia let's talk about that more after the break Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
Hey guys, I have a very, very exciting opportunity I want to share with you guys. If you're a B2B startup founder, listen up. Your ticket to growth is here. Introducing Impact24, the Philippines' largest B2B SaaS challenge. Calling all startups in their pre-launch, pre-seed, or seed stages. This is your chance to accelerate their growth. Submit your pitch to Impact24 and get ready for a 10-week intensive program to elevate your solution. What's in it for you? How about up to 500,000 pesos in MVP project support, exclusive credits from industry partners, personalized mentoring, and a shot to pitch at SASCON PH, the country's biggest SAS conference this April. But yo, you gotta hurry up because submissions close on January 26, 2024 already. Don't miss out on this opportunity to take your startup to new heights. Apply now at saschallenge.ph. That's saschallenge.ph. And good luck and I'll see you guys in Impact 24. And we're back from the break. We're still with Sue Kenwoy again of uh, Iterative, who then told us how he was able to uh, get through the early hustles and struggles of being a startup founder. Because you can't teach founders how to be a hustler or how to get through this if you hadn't gone through it myself. That's kind of what I do as well. But I do it in a podcast because I cannot do it one is to one anymore. And the reason why I did this, just to share with you, Ken, is when I was a youngin. Philippine startup ecosystem, there was nothing here, only a select few that's ever done it before. My mentor told me that if I ever become successful, I shouldn't pay him back and pay it forward. My first startup failed. I did that for six years. Nightlife app got invested on by 500 startups, failed, lost everything, 20-man team. Luckily, in my second startup, I created a chatbot uh, uh, agency. 12 months after I put it up, um, it got acquired. Nice, man. So it's full circle. It's like, now I can share not just my lessons, but the friends that I've been doing. And again, three years in, Hustle Share is three years old. And look at all these startups that are thriving in. So again, congratulations to, to the whole ecosystem. But I want to understand from your perspective, because there's always a breakthrough. And that was the most amazing feeling when there was, after taking a massive L in my first startup and losing everything, I got acquired, and the, the only dream I had, um, Suken, was I wanted to buy my mom a house. There the you Asian go. in me there wanted to buy my mom a house because uh, I was an only child. I was raised by a single mom. It's the only thing I cared for. Yep. Felt like the, I still get goosebumps talking about this because it's the most, again, surreal feeling I've had. For you, what was that like when? when Talk about the startup first. How did you again go through all these things and eventually led to an exit? Yeah, I mean, look, we ran that company. You know, we went through that whole period I talked about before, and then we we landed on this idea, and then we spent the next five years kind of like running that idea. So we raised at the time this was a lot of money, but not, now these days not as much. Uh, we raised about sixteen and a half million. Um, wow! And you know, eBay bought the company five years later, right? And wow. Look, man, you've been there too. It's like, yes, in hindsight, with the outcome, it all seems like it was kind of good. But I mean, it, day to day, it felt like you're just taking L's every day, right? So like, <laughs> yes, we now have money, but it's like, okay, now you just graduate into kind of like different types of problems, right? And so this yeah. is the thing with startups. I feel like just as you get good at one stage, you get graduated into the next stage. 
And then you're just taking L's at the next stage. Right. Yep. So it's just like consistently just like, I don't know what I'm doing. I feel like everything's like not, nothing's working. And like, so, you know, I think there's a lot of that. And, um, I think as founders, your job is to like, maybe the most important thing as a founder is like your ability to kind of like learn and take L's while you're doing it. And like, Correct. can you kind of like stay motivated taking L's and like learn as much as you can and, you know, and believe that something is going to kind of like change later on. Um, for the actual acquisition part of it, I don't know what it was for you. It was relief for me. That's the word I would use. Relief. And just like, look, ma, I told you I was on something. <laughs> she was my biggest critic. Like, I told you I was going to get here. Because she's like, you should have just done this. You should have just taken this path. But see, that's what, that's what it, it, it was relief. It feels like when you ever, whenever you do a raise, that's what it feels. But this is a grander scale because there's just, it's hard to raise already. Yeah. It's even harder to exit. exit. Yeah. So ah, I'm just, I'm just happy to chalk that W up. Yay there. But I know that that's all going to be temporary too. I, and, and that's the thing, right? I mean, it's like, you get this temporary relief of like, I mean, at least for us, it was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we pulled off this thing. Never in my wildest dreams that I think that this was like a thing that you read about that happened to other people, yeah. right? It's not a thing that it's going to happen to you, right? I mean, I would maybe once in a while, like let myself indulge in the idea that this would happen to me, but yeah. not any, not that seriously. And honestly, not that seriously because it was just going to like hurt too much, right? That right. it like wasn't going to happen. So I just never really, so I just kept my head down. So it's a lot of relief, I think, when it actually kind of like happens. But, you know, then three months later, you're like, now what? Right. Exactly. That's what, what happened to me. Yeah. However, I, I still ran the company. But at the back of my mind, again, the writing's on the wall yeah. that nobody that ever gets acquired ever gets to stay and run this whole thing. Right. Yeah. I mean, look, we went to work at eBay and stuff. And like, but, you know, it was like, you know, we were like, we were like, all right, what's next? Like, what are we doing next? Right. So it's on to the next thing. So. For me, the natural progression was the podcast. I started telling oh. stories and then I built a company because I saw the, I saw parallels of how the startup ecosystem needed support the same, the podcast, same way the podcast ecosystem needs constant nurturing in a community that actually helps them get there. Because you can build all these tools, but if you don't build a community that actually nurtures or the rising tide lifts all boats, then it ain't going to get there. Right. Um, yeah. For you, how what was that like, and what did you try to do next? So we started that first company in Seattle, Washington. So we weren't in. I mean, Seattle is famous for Microsoft and Amazon yep. and all that, but wasn't. It's not Silicon Valley, right? Yep. And so for us, we kind of felt like we were actors that weren't living in LA. We were like, we got to get to SF, right? So immediately <laughs> after the acquisition, we're working for eBay, and you know, as, basically as soon as we could, we we were like, let's get out. And we Brian and I went to San Francisco, um, yep. and started another company and went to YC. We just wanted to be like in that whole culture, right? You read, I mean, this happens in Southeast Asia. You read about San Francisco, you read about Silicon Valley, and it's like this mythical place. And we were like, oh, we got to go. We got like. We want to see what that's like. And so, yeah, we packed our bags, moved down there, uh, like, you know, basically as soon as we could. Exactly. Now, what was the startup like? Because again, you, you have perspective now, taking L's and yep. W. And for me, when, when, when I experienced that, 
I just have perspective that okay, again, I'm now even healed. I don't get high, and but one thing that I also became, and this is this is the iteration of that. Everything that I did before was only very hyper Philippine focused, mm. heck, even Manila only. This time I became ambitious. That man, I'm gonna go for the world. I'm gonna freaking solve this problem for everybody. Because if I see it here, I can protect home court. Yep. But I'm doing this for the world. What was that like for you guys? You know, this is one thing about America, uh, Americans, and you know, uh, I, I lived there long enough um, that I could probably say this. But like, one of the Americans, America's greatest strengths and weaknesses is like, Americans are kind of arrogant, right? <laughs> like from day one, we are like, yo, if you if we make it here, we can go anywhere, right? Yeah. And look, there's bad parts to that, but there's good parts to that too. Nobody in San Francisco is saying you don't even say where you're just like, I'm starting this company. And it's just assumed that you're going to take over the U S and then everywhere else after that. Right. So for us, it wasn't so much like, okay, we want a bigger idea or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I think it was more for us was like, wow, we made a lot of mistakes in that first startup. I want to, I want to run it back so we can like do it right this time. I think that was the overarching thing. I want to do it in San Francisco. I want to learn from the people in San Francisco and I want to like make good on all the like mistakes that you made. And you know this too, man. There's a bunch of decisions you make early on at startups. Then oh, you got to live with them for the next couple of years. And you're just like, bonehead oh, stuff. Literally. Never again. <laughs> I will never do this again. Right. Yes. And so we saw this as like, let's run it back. Now, mm-hmm. the thing, I don't know if you felt this. The thing about getting some success though is people start expecting success from you. So we had our first startup, yeah. sold eBay. We're like young. I'm in like my mid 20s and stuff. I got people like in my ear, like being like, oh man, when is the next thing you're going to start? You're going to sell for even more money and like all this kind of stuff. And, you know, as much as anybody kind of like likes to take credit for it, there's a lot of luck involved. Yep. It's not like I could just like make that happen, but that's kind of what people seem to think. Right. And Mm -hmm. so there was a part of starting the second one. And I had to like talk myself into this where I was like, don't, don't hedge. Mm. Don't, don't, don't work on a like smaller idea. Don't take less risk. Don't like, cause I think when you first start out, you're nothing. All in or nothing. Matter. Yeah. You're like, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Like let's, let's, let's go for it all. Mm-hmm. And I think the mistake, if you get some success is, okay, well, people are kind of patting me on the back already. I just need to not mess up. Yeah. Right. So you go from like, let's go for it to like, don't mess up. Mm-hmm. And I think for us, we were like very cognizant and talking to ourselves of like, we got to ante up every time, every yep. time. Right. Um, so anyway, that was kind of our experience. Got it. Now. So you, you have this past stuff that you swore you'll never do again, Yep. but again, you're going to be, <laughs> you're going to be presented with a whole new things and yep. walk me through the YC experience, because that is always something I've, I've had, one thing that changed in the Philippines, in the Filipino perspective, is that it started with Paymongo. Yep. Um, it's creating uh, you know, waves and waves of Filipino startups now being able to get to YC, which prior to that, there's only one before, which was Caliber. Yep. Probably almost took almost 10 years before the next one came. Yep. Eight years, actually. Um, what was that like for you and how formative was it to the point that you wanted to replicate that with iterative down the road? I think it was a couple of things. Um, when we got, when we were, when we were at YC, we had already sold the company to eBay. So it wasn't like we were yeah. first time. Right. Yeah. So some of that was kind of like, 
I wish we had done this before. Yeah. Like, I wish we had joined this with our first company because basically a lot of the stuff that we had learned and had to like pay mm-hmm. a price for, mm-hmm. we could have learned easier by going through a program like YC. There's, ver- there's very few programs like this, right? Mm-hmm. So I think there was a part of it was like, some of the stuff was like, okay, we kind of know some of this stuff, but we just had to spend seven years figuring it out. They could have told us in like three months. Right. I think the biggest part though is in Seattle, when we were starting companies and Southeast Asia is still a little bit like this. We just felt like we were on an Island. I didn't know any other founders. I didn't know anybody else who even worked at a startups. And so mm-hmm. I cared a lot about this thing and didn't know anybody else that like cared about this thing. And then you move to San Francisco, you join YC and this is 2014, right? So there's like yeah. YC batches, 20 something companies. And you're suddenly like around all these people who are like you. It's like finding your like tribe, right? Yes. You're like, oh, these are my people. Like, oh my gosh, you care about this as much as I care about this? Like, oh my gosh, amazing, right? Yeah. Um, and I see even then was already kind of like, wow, like it was kind of like a well-known thing. So for us mm-hmm. being on the outside uh, and then getting in on the inside and being around all these people was like amazing. And the community is amazing. And Yes, we had sold a company, but like, hey, we still learned a lot of stuff, right? Like how they thought about how they thought about growth, how they thought about that kind of stuff. So um, I think it was an amazing to just like be part of that community, meet people who were wanted the things that we were like we wanted and kind of like gut check the things we had learned. Had we learned the right things from our first experience? Do they think about it the same way? And like being able to talk about that. So um, it was awesome. Got it. Now we'll jump uh, again. We'll, we'll skip a couple a couple of steps, but I'll, I want to talk about it iterative because, again, if that really left in a, a a mark, for sure. And again, there's Southeast Asian discount. There are Southeast Asian companies that make it to YC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there are few and too few and far between. Yep. And again, coming from the ecosystem play, at least I've been in the game again. Old fart. I'm an old fart. Uh, 2015. Everybody has to go to Singapore. Hmm. go to tech in asia or e27 um echelon yep. right yep. to have a shot at having that silicon valley experience yep and what you see is like a region that's literally has the same problem but has different markets per se there is a there's a grocery of indonesia where there's a buku warung and whatnot yep. and then it's the same problem being solved locally but it's rarely that a grab happens where it solves the same problem for everyone across the region. Yep. What was the main inspiration for creating iterative here? Yeah. I mean, so look, I think I moved to Singapore about five years ago. And Mm -hmm. before that I took a year off uh, after we sold our second company, I took a year off. I just traveled by myself for like a year, me and like the backpacks over there. So I spent five months in Europe. I spent seven months in Asia just solo. Mm -hmm. And part of this was I had got busy with startups and hadn't been coming back to Southeast Asia as much, even though most of my family still lives in Southeast Asia. So it was kind of like spending a lot of time in Southeast Asia and getting to know the ecosystem. And I was like, Oh, it's like stuff happening. And it was exciting. The thing that stuck out to me though, was, a couple of things. One opportunity here was off the charts, right? Oh, like man. it was like, it's everywhere. I was like, oh my gosh, you could start this company. You could do this. Oh my gosh. There's so many off the charts opportunities mm-hmm. more so than I thought in the U S now U S I think will probably be a, the, a larger market for a long, long time, but like Delta from where the U S is now and where it's going to be in 10 years. Yeah. Southeast Asia now in 10 years. Oh my God. That's a bigger Delta, right? I, Absolutely. I honestly, honestly say, and I moved here to do it. Mm-hmm. And I convinced Brian to move here to, to, to do it. Southeast Asia has a bigger opportunity. So mm-hmm. there's tons of opportunity here. And I 
there was tons of cash. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like there wasn't like people trying to invest. It wasn't like there's not money in Southeast Asia. Yo, Southeast Asia has got a lot of cash, all right? It's hidden in some places, you know, with some rich people and that kind of, it, it's here though, right? Yep. And not only that, China is interested, Japan is interested, like everybody around is interested, US is interested. So I was like, tons of opportunity, tons of cash. And then I started meeting a bunch of founders. And I was like, despite what people made kind of like seem to like think, I thought the mm-hmm. founders in Southeast Asia were great. Yeah. Here's what I mean. The found, like what I saw was the founder materials, like raw materials of founders in Southeast Asia, just as good or better than San Francisco. Got it. The people here are just smart. And I think they're grittier. And look, mm. they're grittier because your history, my history is like, yo, our families have had to struggle for the last several generations, right? Exactly. Like, I don't know about you, but like, I didn't grow up rich. I didn't grow up rich when we were in Penang, right? Like, mm-hmm. so look, we're just, we're like, we're used to kind of like having to dig in, right? Yeah. Um, and so the biggest difference to me though, was that the community didn't develop founders as yes. well as they should have. Everything was there, but the community didn't develop founders. And again, when I was looking at, you know, was talking to Brian and talking to some of my friends about this, they were like, is there a YC in Southeast Asia? Because YC is this like institution, right? In the yep. San, in San Francisco. It's been around for, I, I don't know if people know this, it's been around for like 18 years. Yep. It's, it's like been there for a long time. And it had a big impact on how Silicon Valley developed founders. Right? Absolutely. And we can talk about all the different stages of YC, right? There's like very small and now it's like very big, but had this mm-hmm. big thing. And when we thought about that, we were like, what's the magic of YC? Mm. To us, and it's very clear, all the partners in YC were founders before. They're not all billionaires and all that kind of stuff, but they've been in the game before. They talk about it like you and I talk about it. When yep. we talk about taking L's, you can see it in their face. They're like, yep. yep. And it by hurts. the way, if you, if you talk to somebody who hasn't been a founder and you talk about taking L's, it's theoretical to them. For you and I, I can see it in your face, man. It's like yep. you can recall some night where you were just uh, like, it's over. I've yep. just wasted all of my time. I've wasted a bunch of people's money. Like I got to go fire everybody tomorrow. Like this sucks, right? Yep. Now it turns out there were a lot of accelerators in Southeast Asia. A lot of people were trying to work this problem, but I didn't see a lot that were run by people who had kind of like been founders before. Boom, Exactly. A lot of them were corporate accelerators and or again, government accelerators and look, good people trying to do the right thing. Right. But my thesis is being a founder is such a unique experience. It's unlike any other job. It's such a unique experience that unless you've been a founder, it is difficult to empathize with founders. Exactly. If you can't empathize with founders or it's difficult for you, you can't help them. Not as much. And here's what I mean. Look, I could teach you growth strategies and we can talk about metrics and we can do all that kind of stuff. But look, you can kind of get that in some books too, right? Mm -hmm. The real, real stuff, when you just get founders like privately at dinner is like, is all the emotional stuff. How do you keep taking the steady diet of L's and show up the next day ready to go, right? The 70th investor just rejected me. I want to quit. By the way, I, I don't know if people talk about this. Every founder has a point when they want to quit and somebody talks them out of it. I'll tell you right now. Yep. 
every single one, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of this like emotional stuff that kind of comes around. And I think it's like, this is the stuff that, you know, look, we spend time helping people with growth. We push people and all that kind of stuff. But um, a lot of the time when we work with a company's iterative, we tell them right up front, the typically the biggest limiting factor for a startup is actually the founders. Yeah. And it's not that the founders aren't trying hard. It's like, I don't know, they're scared of doing sales because they're engineers. And so they have to get over this fear of doing sales. So they don't do sales, right? Or they don't hire salespeople because they don't know how to do sales. Or like they're scared of looking bad. So they don't try enough stuff, right? And they like need to make it perfect. And so there's all of this personal stuff that gets tied into it. And we're like helping people with that. So to me, it was like, we want to run a program that is like, and look, this is said, everybody says this, but I just didn't find it to be actually true. It was like, we wanted to help founders and we wanted to help them having been founders ourselves, yeah. right? So that was our whole thesis. It, it was literally just that. That is amazing. Now let's take our last break. I'll cliffhanger this out a little bit and then we'll talk about how you then created uh, Iterative from scratch and how you got your first batch and how did you do it differently and how you were able to do uh, support the, these founders that were limiting themselves a little bit. We'll talk about that more after the Hey, Hustlers, it's time to talk business once again, and we're excited to share a bit more info about our sponsors, Sprout Solutions. And again, just like what I said at the start of the episode, you should check out Sprout's Payroll Starter as you grow your own startup. Because this bundle that they have is literally what you need to take your startup to the next level as you grow your employees. And this bundle is your key to freedom, including payroll outsourcing to experts, a subscription to timekeeping and attendance software, and government compliance services. Sprout's Payroll Starter has you covered for payroll, BIR, SSS, and taxes. All the stuff that no founder loves to do. So let Sprout handle the busy work and say goodbye to lines and tax payment stress. All this for as low as 5,000 pesos. Again, that's just 5,000 pesos all in for your payroll and HR needs. So visit sprout.eh payroll-starter-monthly-5k or again, just click the link in the description box of this episode to elevate your business management game. And again, big thank you to Sprout Solutions for liberating your time for what truly matters. Hey, Hustlers, wish there was an easy way to open a bank account and grow your money without the hassle of lengthy application process and income documents? Well, I got good news because today's sponsor, Uno Digital Bank, is here to help you achieve your financial goals. You can easily open an account with the Uno app in just five minutes and one valid ID. And as one of the six digital banks licensed by the Banco Central ng Pilipinas, the company is committed to providing customers with simpler, better, and more accessible banking. Last year, Uno Bank was recognized by the Asia Banking and Finance Awards and bagged the title Open Banking Initiative of the Year due to the success of its partnership with Gcash, one of the Philippines' leading mobile wallet platforms. And with the Uno mobile app, you can access an hashtag UnoReady savings account and enjoy daily interest crediting. With their hashtag UnoEarn or hashtag UnoBoost time deposit accounts, you can enjoy a high interest rate of up to 6.5% per annum. Enjoy monthly payouts with hashtag UnoEarn and flexible tenors with hashtag UnoBoost. 
Other app features include pay bills, the Uno Virtual Debit MasterCard, life insurance, scan and pay with QRPH, and phones. And the one thing that I really love about Uno Digital Bank is they're open to collaborate with a lot of Filipino startups. I've had a chance to see the partnerships that they've had lined up with the startups that they have, and it's truly exciting to see how a digital bank like Uno can enable startups to unlock the power of fintech through digital banking. So if you're ready to elevate your banking experience, download the Uno mobile app today from the Google Play Store or App Store. Or if you want to collaborate with them, I'll be happy to give you an intro. Just shoot us an email at hello at huffleshare.com. Hey, Hustlers, I hope you're having a great 2024 so far. As you know, a lot of startups had a very challenging 2023, and hopefully things are going to do better this year for a lot of us. Not just because it's the year of the dragon, but also because our sponsor, Dragon Pay, is here to help your startups process payments in the most efficient way. Established in 2010, Dragon Pay empowers businesses of all sizes to accept and disperse payments through secure and convenient channels, giving your customers the flexibility to choose the payment method that suits them best. With over 85 partner channels, 35,000 partner branches nationwide, including QRPH, e-wallets, crypto, buy now, pay later, and many more. They also process an astonishing 15 million transactions processed globally each month. Dragon Pay is your trusted choice for online payments. And here's something to show you how legit Dragon Pay is. Dragon Pay was named FinTech of the Year at last year's Philippine FinTech Festival in 2020. So let's make 2024 extra prosperous for you and your startup in this year of the Dragon. For more details, head on over to dragonpay.ph. That's dragonpay.ph. Trust the pioneer, trust Dragon Pay. Break. And we're back in the break. We are still with Yuki and Oi again, who now told us why they created um, Iterative. But now let's talk about creating it. Right, so we see this opportunity. The founders are here. A lot of them are. Again, sometimes it's 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 sad because us Asians are the ones who actually put our own glass yeah. ceiling above us. Yes, right. Yes, yes. And you have to break that mold, and yep. you you need to give yourself a solid shot. And sometimes it's it comes with a culture. Like for me, I get this a lot, just because. And mind you, I grew up here in the Philippines. First time I was able to able I come from the lowest of lows, right? You you know why I speak like this? I had to teach myself how to sound like an American to give myself a chance, mm-hmm. and I did that by walk, working in the call center when I was eighteen years old, mm-hmm. working for a long time. What if I didn't sound like this? No, I will never have a shot if I sound like the Filipino that I am. Right? <laughs> so I'm never nah. So we had to again yep. stick out of the mold. And whenever I try to say, hey, I want to be more ambitious. I want to try to do this. Typical reaction of people around me who are not founders like, easy, take it easy. You're not supposed yeah. to do that, Ron. Yeah. No, you, you should just be happy and be contented with life. Pray to the gods. I'm like, nah, I'm shooting for the moon. Because who will? Right? It's also my responsibility as one of the OGs in the in my ecosystem in, in the Philippines to say that the chip on my shoulder. Uh, Suken is it's a lot of Filipinos who are able to create a product that is loved outside of the Philippines. Yeah. That's the chip. 
I'm like, man, I just want to be able to do my best. I don't know if I'm going to make it, but I'm going to freaking try, try hard. What was those like in the founders that you saw that you chose to invest in and support? And by the way, maybe I can tell you what my chip is. Okay. Real fast. I am 39 next month, right? Look, still young, still got plenty of work ahead, but like, and look, we started uh, two or three companies. We kind of know what that is like. The reason why we started wanting to build this was Brian and I wanted to build an institution. We want this to be our last job we ever have, right? And look, if we start another company, yeah, maybe, you know, do it for five or seven years, you know, maybe get an exit if we're lucky and all this kind of stuff. And then it's like, cool, on to the next one, right? And look, we do well when that happens and hopefully some other people do well, but we thought about how do we make a longer lasting institution so I never have to go get another job ever again, right? It's just this from here until I'm old and retired back in Penang sitting at some hawker center, right? Um, And what's cool about what we're doing at Iterative, what I like about it is if we do well, that means all these other founders are going to have to have done well. That's not the case if I start a company. If I start a company, yeah, maybe the employees do well, but it's limited, right? Whereas if I start Iterative and we can turn it into something like YC, Mm -hmm. um, I got to just think, I just sometimes think about how cool it must be to Paul Graham and think about all of the people and founders you've kind of like helped along the way through this program, even if you never even talked to them. Um, yeah. So for me, like being from Southeast Asia, like that's the thing that I think would be really cool. Um, Amen. What do I, what do we look for in kind of like founders and that kind of like chip and that kind of stuff? Yep. It's kind of, I mean, kind of looking like people that are like similar to you, man. Like, I didn't speak really good English. I went to go work at a call center at 18 and then I like got that sorted out. Right. And then you have this ambition where it's like, yeah, I mean, look, there's nothing wrong with wanting the like life that people that are non-founders are talking about, like be happy, Mm. pray to the gods. Like, yo, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. But for us, we want to find the people who are like, can kind of hustle and do stuff that maybe is like not the normal way to kind of do stuff. Like, I don't know, you know, most people's career path, working at a call, uh, working at a call center, learning English is like not on that path, right? But mm-hmm. it's like, look, you had this thing you needed to do, and that was valuable, and you did that. We yeah. like those people, right? Because um, I think there's there's a part of being a founder where it's like you'll do whatever it takes. I, I yep. don't care what other people think. I don't care if it's below me or above me. That none of that matters. You do what it takes, right? Um, so we like people with kind of like non like standard kind of like backgrounds a lot of times. Um, And we like people who are like, kind of like, it's kind of like you talked about it. They're kind of fed up with the way things are. I think Mm -hmm. a very important part of a founder is you don't take the world as it is. Yep. You can accept it if you want, right? You Mm -hmm. can. Like my favorite example of this is traffic. Okay. I think most of the people in the world, they sit in traffic and they're like, stuck in traffic, sucks. That's how the world is. Yeah. A founder is like, traffic sucks. Why yeah. do we deal with this? Like, I, I don't want any traffic. None of these people want traffic. What can we do? Right. Exactly. So they go from this part where it's like stuff happens to me to like, I can impact and create change on the world. Right. And so I yeah. think we're like looking for a lot of that um, <clears throat> in people. Um, so yeah, there's, there's lots of stuff, but there's a, a couple of those things. Got it. But are, are there certain verticals that you cool. like to look at? Uh, because again, um, yeah. again, not all opportunities are equal. Oh. Let's just no. uh, let's do that. But and also not 
all teams are equal as well because you you might have that same drive, yep. but there's an X factor, yep. right? As well, what, what so, are those X factors and opportunities that you like to see? So maybe before I hit the industry one, let me give some tangible stuff we look for in founders too. Like okay. just very tangible. We actually have like a matrix for this. Okay, there's a couple okay. things. One, and this is like very kind of like YC stuff. We are looking for founders that are like formidable, which is PG's like favorite word. And formidable, it means to us, you don't want to compete against this person. I don't want to keep it. I don't want to compete against them in business. I don't want to play ping pong against them. Unfuckwithable. I don't want to mess with them, right? If they're in, I'm out, right? Like that kind of person, right? Okay, what makes somebody like that? One, and this is very simple. They do what they say they're going to do. Yep. It's really simple, but like, People who say something and then do it, and then they keep doing that over and over are kind of scary. Most of the people that go through the world say lots of things, don't do any of them, right? So the people like consistently like, I'm going to do this next week. And then next week they do that thing, scary. Two, they are convincing. And what I mean by this is a founder's job primarily oftentimes is you're just trying to convince all sorts of people about the way you think the world should be. So for example, you need to convince investors to give you millions of dollars for this like crazy idea that you have. You Mm -hmm. need to convince employees to quit their very nice jobs to join your weird thing that like has very little chance to work on that. And you need to convince customers that they should use your thing. Your job is to just go around and convince people, right? Yep. And look, some people convince people through charisma. Some people convince people just because they have a really good, like a really good argument. There's lots of ways to convince people. If you're not, if you are not charismatic by nature, I actually think you can, you can become a very convincing person. So just for everybody out there, like I am like an introvert. I can do this stuff. I can talk about this for like a while and stuff, but I'll go hide in my corner. Um, You can develop being convincing. It's a skill that you can develop, right? So, So if people do what they say they're going to do and they're convincing, that's like a pretty scary person. The third part is figuring out why they are doing the things that they are doing. Is it externally driven or internally driven? Now, if you are, do what you say you're going to do and you're convincing, but you are externally driven, you probably, you might quit. Yeah. Okay. So you're not going to be, I'll, I mean, I'll come, I'll compete against people who are likely to quit all day, like yep. any day of the week. If you are internally driven, like you are doing this because it's a, some industry that you really care about, or that you're just like, I don't know, you like love startups or something like that. And that's going to keep you from quitting. Then I think the combination of those three things are like the types of people I don't really want to compete against. Um, for the industries that we like, um, we like all of them. But maybe mm-hmm. let me pick a few. And when I say we like all of them, the reason why I say that is I'm not a genius. Yeah. I have guesses about how the world is going mm-hmm. to be, but I've been wrong lots of times. And we invest in a lot of companies that I hadn't thought about before. Ekaterina, for example, did we have some internal like document where we're like, let's go find, you know, gaming uh, mm-hmm. communities into the field? Absolutely not. We hadn't yeah. even thought about that before, right? <laughs> Until these, you know, three people come to our door and we're like, wow, they're really convincing. This is really interesting. Like maybe we should make an investment there. So look, if you're working on stuff that doesn't fit any of the things that I say, please apply. I still, I want to invest in lots of people because, you know, the world is going to be made up of things that are totally unexpected. Okay. 
the things we, we, we tend to invest in more. Um, let me give you the rational one. And then let me give you the like non-rational uh, side. The rational stuff is um, there is a ton of like, I mean, this is the stuff everybody says. FinTech stuff is still happening, is, is happening and will continue to happen. Yep. Right. Throughout Southeast Asia, it's going to happen. I mean, we invested in this company in the Philippines, uh, TendoPay, which yep. started out as buy now, pay later. And they were giving us some stat like 70% of Filipinos had never had access to credit before. Yep. Yo, that's wild, right? Like mm -hmm. we got work to do. And that's just credit, right? Like, I mean, having, you know, grown up in like the US and developed country and stuff, there's all kinds of financial tools that more people should have access to so that they can like live better lives, right? Like, I mean, I don't know what it was like when you bought your mother's house or whatever, right? I don't know what that loan is like. I don't know how any of that works, but like we need to help more people get like access to kind of like the financial tools that like, you know, more of us have in other places, right? So there's a lot of stuff that needs to happen there. Um, we need to help more people start businesses. And I'm not saying like startups. I'd love people to start more startups, but like I want to build tools for all, for everybody's side hustles that become main hustles that become like crazy conglomerates, right? So like during the pandemic, actually, uh, uh, you were very nice about it. I got a delivery while we were on this, while, during one of our breaks, right? <laughs> Yes. I ordered this like tea that from some person's house on Instagram. Wow. And yo, I know it's just some person side hustling at their house, right? Right. And I DM them and we kind of went through that whole thing. Oh. I want to build tools so they can run businesses out of their house and that gets great. Right. Makes so sense. for example, we invested in this company called Hawker in Malaysia. And it's basically like anybody should be able to like make food and sell it on a platform like nice. yo, i yeah. want to buy food from the auntie two floors up from me if she's Correct. making some food i want to buy from her right exactly and those are the best ones typically oh God, not the, the best ones. man yeah. they're mm -hmm. the best and yo that auntie should make some money mm -hmm. right so we want to kind of like work on these tools that kind of enable stuff um i mean other stuff that we like too is um we're looking at a lot of like property stuff brian brian started this like yep it's now multi-time unicorn in the US. So like, we just know a lot about property. We're like looking at a bunch of that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, part of the reason why I invested in Katarina, we're very bullish on games. Uh, Brian and I played games growing up. Uh, mm -hmm. My my tr my fun party trivia fact is I was a semi-professional Counter-Strike player in college. Oh, wow. Um, so we went deep. <laughs> Someone you don't want to mess with right there. Uh, well, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm bad now, but yeah. <laughs> but we like games. So yeah, man, there's like lots of stuff. But again, I think the thing, my favorite deals to do are the founders who come to me and they're like, they tell me about something that I've never heard of or thought about before. Mm. It's the best, right? They're like, hey, th this should exist. Here's why. And I'll be like, oh my gosh, I've never thought about this before. It's That's the best. Amazing. It's the best. All right. Now, last question before I let you go. Yeah. We let a little over time. Now, what, what's your what's the overall dream? Because again, ambition, if this is the last job you want to take. Yep. What's the utopian future that you see for this region, uh, with, especially with iterative right, right in the middle of it? Yep. Okay, I'm going. I'm going to go kind of pie in the sky here, right? Okay. All right. Uh, to your point about kind of we want it all. Mm. Look, Southeast Asia is developing, and we want 
we want, I want people's lives in Southeast Asia to get better. And part of that is increasing kind of GDP and everybody should kind of like have more opportunity and more access and all this kind of stuff, right? Part of what I found is in order to kind of have that happen, entrepreneurship often is the key. Yeah. That's how a lot of these, that's how a lot of places get going, right? Entrepreneurship is kind of like the key and entrepreneurship drives new businesses and the economies and people kind of like get better because of it. Okay. I don't think entrepreneurship is as ex- is accessible enough in Southeast Asia. Here's, no, here's what I mean. Not- I'm going to go through the three, gen- my, my theory on three generations of accessibility of entrepreneurship in Southeast Asia. All right. There you go. For, specifically for tech, by the way, mm-hmm. when I talk about entrepreneurship in Southeast Asia, entrepreneurship is alive and strong and has been in Southeast Asia for decades. Like yeah. we look at kind of the old school businesses and all mm-hmm. that, yo, your parents, my parents, our grandparents hustling, right? Yeah, like old absolutely. school hustling. Mm-hmm. But tech is the new game, yes. right? Tech is the new game. Okay, if 10 years ago, if you look at a lot of the kind of like entrepreneurs and stuff, 10, 15 years ago, whatever, they're foreigners, a lot mm-hmm. of Europeans, right? Mm-hmm. Especially in Singapore, right? It's a mm-hmm. lot of rocket internet. They're starting a lot of companies and good. God mm-hmm. bless them. Like starting stuff. No, 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 no qualms with that. Right. Yep. But a lot of them came and started stuff. So Lazada, Zalora, all mm-hmm. that. Right? Okay. So that's the first bucket. The next generation, which is the one that we're in now is kind of a lot of people like me, which is repatriates. People that are maybe of Southeast Asian descent. We're from here, but we grew up in other places. And, and yo, I grew up in America. There's a level of privilege that comes with that. Yeah. Right. And a lot of people are coming back. There's a lot of privilege tied with that. Right. Mm -hmm. And look, that's fine. That's good. It's more Mm -hmm. people. Great. The world that I want to get to is anybody in Southeast Asia, regardless of privilege, regardless of you've ever left your small town in the Philippines, you can start a billion dollar company. And the reason why I care about this is that's how the region really explodes. If it's just going to be people like me who are expatriates that come back or whatever, we're going to stay small. This place is going to grow, but it's going to grow slow. You're going to unlock the human potential of Southeast Asia when you make it so anybody in Southeast Asia, doesn't matter where you come from, doesn't matter who your family is, you can start huge companies. That's the place that I want to get to. And so for me, it's like, it's all about making like tech entrepreneurship more accessible, right? So we can do that through money. We can teach people stuff. We want to build community. We're like doing all of that. So that's, that's to me kind of like, that's what I care about. That's what I basically want to spend the rest of my life kind of working on. That is absolutely true. Um, I actually said pretty much very similar what you said when Tech in Asia invited me over last year to discuss really? the Philippine startup ecosystem. So apparently it's not just in the Philippines because there are three waves that I always see. The expats, the repatriates, yep. but that real potential, the real potential happens from people like me, a random schmuck from a slum in the Philippines that worked in a call center that gave him several chance. And I don't want to be the last. There's a lot of great potential out there. I, I mean, I don't know if I'm going to, I don't nod my head with you being a schmuck. I seem pretty good to me, but um, <laughs> I, I mean, why do you, maybe I can throw this back to you. Why do you, why did you feel this way? I mean, it seems like we came to similar kind of like conclusions here. Yeah. It's because I feel like, again, the opportunities are are there, but they're not equally distributed. Nope. And the reason why I created this podcast is so that the people that come from my background, 
first of all, develop the confidence that to shoot their shot because they're scared. Majority of them are scared. And number two, they're clueless because I also mentor a lot of startups. There's an incubator here called Kubo, QBO. Yep. And that's very grassroots. The type of questions I get there are not the type of questions that are repatriate or a, yep. the, even just the swag, the confidence is different. Yep. But I always challenge them to do is that we need to uplift the grassroots because if yep. we don't, then it will just be uneven distribution of opportunities. And even the check sizes, you can see it, you can measure that, that you type of it. stuff, right? So you can see that it. Is yep. it. Uh-huh. You and I, we're working on the same thing. Uh, that's do it. That's all that matters. Uh, and, and look, we're getting to the point where we're trying to think about like, I mean, I only speak English, but like as I we build out it, English is one of the biggest kind of like barriers to the information. So should we, do I need to get Filipino partners on board and be like doing programs in like Filipino, right? Mm-hmm. Or like Vietnamese or whatever, right? Like make that more accessible for people who don't speak English, which by the way, we're in Southeast Asia, right? It's like people should speak their local languages. Right? Exactly. There you go. Again, I wish we had more time, but thank you very much. Ken. I love this episode. Only fitting for it to be my third anniversary. But before I let you go, please invite people over if they want to join um, Iterative and if they want to reach out to you, how did they, where did they go and how did they do that? Yo, I'm I'm liberal with my email. I'll tell I'll tell her right now. This is my actual work email. It's mm-hmm. suken at iterative.vc. H-S-U-K-E-N at iterative.vc. If you got questions, hit me up. If you're like looking for funding, like hit me up. Like if you think I can help, like hit me up. This is where it starts, right? Um, we can't we can't spend the last ten minutes talking about accessibility and then like I'm like yeah, you know, don't try to hit me up, right? So like hit me up. Don't be shy. All right, and he has a podcast too. Promote your podcast as well. Yeah, I mean we are uh, we might work with you on it now, uh-huh. um, but we've been a bit inconsistent. <laughs> but yeah, we made a podcast. It's called the Iterative Podcast, and the reason why we wanted to do that was similar to you we wanted to make it we wanted to make founders kind of more accessible so mm-hmm. one of the ways we can do that is just like give away everything we know in the widest format that we can and tell stories of founders in southeast asia so people realize that they're not unicorns the regular people right like there's nothing special you and i both start a couple companies i'm gonna i'll speak on your behalf there's nothing special about you or i exactly nothing we just took the plunge and went all just the plunge. that's it nothing special Right. All right. Thank you, Suken. But before I let you go, follow us on whatever podcast app you're listening to, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any of your favorite podcast app. And if we did say some jargon, it's going to be the show notes along with Suken's email in hustleshare.com. And lastly, if you want to be part of our small community, it's going to be hustleshare community uh, on Facebook. Again, if you've been listening to this three years in and we have a billion years to go, hopefully I live a billion years. Someone has to create that. But again, thank you, Suken. Thanks for thanks for having me. Subscribe to his podcast. Do everything he just said. <laughs> All right, I'll see you guys in the next episode. Peace.